Well, I'll ask you this morning to take your Bibles with me uh, just for a short time and open them to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. I want to begin our time this Easter morning by reading for us verses 16 to 27, which has nothing directly to do with the resurrection other than the fact that this event had to take place in order for the resurrection to take place. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records for us, so then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Talking about Pilate delivering Jesus Christ. They took Jesus, therefore, and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross, as it is written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And the soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made made four parts, a part for every soldier and also the tunic now, The tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, and they said, therefore, to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. But there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning as we begin our time. Lord, we do thank you for your word, for the declarations that it makes concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ, for all that he has accomplished by means of his very humanity and his divinity, being the perfect human, being the God-man, having all righteousness, thereby being able to give us life eternal in His name. We thank You that the grave could not hold Him, that death had no victory, that He has authority over all things, that He has even called all things into existence by the very word of His power. So we are grateful that we who know Jesus Christ by faith rejoice this day in new life. We ask this morning as we think through the very 
point at which Jesus was sacrificing himself on the cross for sin, that we would be mindful of who we are before you. We might see our own sin and the cost that it took to save. All for your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, of course, sitting here this morning as those who own the Scriptures, we surely have read the Bible, and in reading the Bible, we know that all of the Gospel writers, all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give some details concerning the death of Jesus Christ. However, the Apostle John specifically tells us the reason why it is included in his gospel. He tells us that reason in chapter 20 in verse 31, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, these things are written to you that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. This is John's proclaimed purpose. This is the message of God to all of us through the Apostle John. This is the Scripture's purpose. The Scriptures have been given to us so that every person would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that He is the Messiah, and that by believing in Him, we are made righteous and we have eternal life. So, when we open the Scriptures and we come to a text like this, the crucifixion of Jesus, what is on display here is not simply the reality of the God-man hanging on a tree, dying, but what is on display here is the glory of God in the glory of the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ. The death of Christ is a display of the glory of God by the Son of God so that all mankind would bring glory to God through the worship of Jesus Christ by faith in Him. This is what John desires to make perfectly clear to us. Therefore, when we read a passage like this, there ought to well up in our very souls a great sense of our debt to Christ. Our debt before God. In other words, so great was the love of Jesus Christ for the glory of the Father that He would come to this earth, to sinners like us, and He would and He could then voluntarily endure the horrific sufferings of the cross for the salvation of all of those who He had chosen to save. And all of that would culminate a few days later with the Godhead stamp of approval upon His satisfactory sacrifice that we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
But when we truly think about those facts, we cannot help but be reminded of how grateful we are to God and how great is the sinfulness of our sin. Our sin is so great that it would take the substitutionary death of the Lord of glory in order to provide for our redemption. Nothing else could provide for it. Sin is an eternally incurable disease without Jesus Christ. Sin is so heinous, so cruel, so unforgiving, so deadly that it plunged the entire human race into a grave of spiritual death so that all of us you and I each one of us sitting here this morning all of us were in a condition whereby it is impossible for us to do anything to save ourselves The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There have been a lot of folks over the ages who have tried to define what that word dead means there by way of all kinds of mental gymnastics, but dead does not mean partially alive. Dead does not mean partially dead. Dead means that we are dead. We know what it means. We understand it to mean both intellectually and experientially, completely and absolutely without life. Sin spiritually killed all of us. That's how incurable sin is. Makes you dead. So when we look at the cross of Christ, knowing that the wages of sin is death, knowing that no one is righteous, not even one person, knowing that unless God do something, we will continue to remain in our sinful deadness spiritually. So that when we look at the cross of Christ and the actual crucifixion of the Lord of glory, which was necessary, or there would be no resurrection, we ought to come together at this very moment in our amazement that through it all, we see not simply the submission of Jesus Christ as our substitute, but we see on the cross the very mercy of God for our souls. Notice, first of all, how Jesus had to bear his own cross to the place of his dying John says, so he then delivered him to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross. Literally bearing the cross for himself. This is part of the humiliation of the Lord of glory to which Jesus Christ himself submitted himself so that you and I, who could not save ourselves, could be saved. 
Jesus Christ was accounted as if he was a sinner like all of us, and he became a curse for our sake. We have been studying in our evening services over the last several months the book of Galatians, and the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, 13, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, in other words, when you see that in Scripture, for it is written, it, it's simply saying, because God said, because the Scriptures say, because God has declared it, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, little did the spiritually blind Jewish person of the crowd that day when Jesus was walking by them, little did they understand that when they continued to push the Romans to crucify Jesus outside of the city, little did they understand that they were unconsciously offering the greatest sin offering that was ever to be offered. They were, even as the Passover day was approaching in their unconscious reality, fulfilling the very Word of God and offering the greatest sin offering before God and the only one who could take away sin. This was the offering of Christ as our curse. That's the first element you see when you look at the cross. Uh, the first element of the mercy that we see through the cross work of Jesus Christ was His humiliation. He bore His own cross. And John continues this picture for us as we see a second aspect of the mercy of God on display. And that is the reality of the criminalization of Jesus Christ. He, he's humiliated first, and then he is criminalized. This passage tells us that Jesus was crucified as a king. You realize that was his charge. That was what he was being accused of and being found guilty for. He was a king. Verse 18 through 22, they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also, and he put it on the cross. This is where the charges are laid. And it was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription was read by many Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Latin and Greek. And so the chief priests didn't like that. They're saying to Pilate, do not write on there the king of the Jews, but that he simply said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answers, I have said what I have said. The title overhanging Jesus' head as he hung on the cross was unmistakable. It was in plain language for all who could read. Whatever language of the day you were accustomed to speaking and interacting in, you could not fail to see that the one who hung on the cross had a royal title. This was royalty, and all of this was as it was 
because of the overruling hand of a merciful God to ensure that all of it was taking place just as he had declared. In other words, what we see on the cross in the criminalization of Jesus Christ is according to the sovereign hand of God the Father. The sovereign hand of a merciful God upon God the Son as He is entitled the way He is. And the details of the event are happening all that way because God is sovereign over it all. We know that God is orchestrating all of this even before the birth of Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel declares to the Virgin Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. There it is. He is declared already, even before he ever took a human breath, that he is king. is king. Shortly after his birth, we hear the words of the kings of the east that come to worship him. They ask this question in Matthew 2, 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Very weak of his crucifixion, we looked at this last Lord's Day here in our church, the Crowds are gathered. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And they are proclaiming of him. John chapter 12, verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So we have to conclude that a king he is. A king he was, just as he himself declared at his own trial In John 18, verse 36, when he was standing before Pilate, I am a true king. I have a true kingdom. I am Lord of all those who are in that kingdom. So here is Jesus. Here is Jesus, the king, humiliated for sinners like us, the king of all glory, criminalized for the very title. And those who have been given some sense of earthly power are there dividing his clothes. Verse 23 to 25, the soldiers therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments, made four parts, part to every soldier and also his tunic. Tunic was a seamless woven garment in one piece, and they said, therefore, to one another, let us, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. Why did they do this? So that the Scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Where do you find that? Psalm 22. The psalmist had declared it, a messianic psalm about Jesus Christ. And therefore the soldiers did these things. 
Why were they doing it? Because the sovereign hand of God is fulfilling what he had predetermined to happen to his son so that all of us might have salvation. In other words, unwittingly, these soldiers are fulfilling the word of God. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen 18 said. All of this being orchestrated by our merciful God for the salvation of those whom he savingly loves. And so right here in just these few short verses, there is the humiliation of Jesus Christ. There is the criminalization of Jesus Christ. The certainty of the orchestration of God is on display through it all. And then the mercy of God is seen through the compassion of Christ for his own. Verse 25 continues, but there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. It's unfathomable, really. Many of you here this morning are mothers. You... Think about this in ways unlike anybody else who reads the Scriptures, for men cannot understand the heartache and the stress and the anxiety and the tug and the emotional upheaval that was going through the earthly mother of Jesus Christ at the time. And for us to understand that pain that must have been in the hearts of all of the people, but especially Mary, we have to think about what has taken place. Back in Luke chapter 2, Mary was told that this child had come into the world for the rising and the falling of many. That through him, the sword would pierce even her soul. She, She certainly was loved by Jesus with a love that was not like any other love. And like any mother who has ever had a child, she was bound to him in a way that no other human could ever have been bound to him but her. That motherly experience ends at the cross. And it ends with a deep sorrow that is piercing her very soul. Mary is there and she needs someone to care for her. And that someone is the very one who hangs on the cross. The very one to care for her is Jesus. And the text says that when Jesus saw his mother, verse 26, and the disciple whom he loved standing by. That's John. That's whom John is referring to as John writes this very text by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That is what John always calls himself in his gospel. 
the one whom Jesus loved, John was overwhelmed by the reality that Jesus would in fact even love him at all, knowing his own heart, and here he just simply displays that because this is how he always refers to himself. I'm just one of those whom Jesus loved. He's overwhelmed by the love of Christ for himself. And Jesus looks down from the cross and he sees his mother and he sees the others who are standing by his mother, his aunt, his mother's sister, another Mary, the wife of Clopas, and yet another Mary, Mary Magdalene. They're all there. They're all weeping. They're all saddened by the moment. And Jesus is focused on His earthly mother. And we get a picture of the mercy of God. Through the compassion that Jesus has even as He's dying. Mother, behold your son. And to John he says, Behold your mother. Jesus Christ is expressing his divine expression of love to both. Jesus Christ is expressing his divine expression of love to his own, those who are his. Here is Jesus going through all of this horrifying agony. The hours at which he has endured all of the pain given to him at the hands of sinful men, even those from which he is dying, so agonizing that in the garden, even contemplating what is to come, he is agonizing in such a great way that his sweat is coming off of him as drops of blood. This is the heart of our Savior. That even on the cross, He would pour out care for His own. That even at the cross, He would would see those who are His and continue to care for Him. It is the same heart, beloved, that never forgets those who have believed Him by faith. Even on our worst day. Jesus Christ's love never Ends. Never ends. Well, I'll tell you, if anything makes you smile this morning, that ought to make you smile. His love never ends. No wonder Peter would say, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Jesus Christ, in his humiliation, Jesus Christ in His criminalization. Jesus Christ culminating the expression of the mercy of God and the expression of the love of God for the people whom God would save in the outpouring of His glorious resurrection. We we cannot be here this morning and simply run to the tomb as we desire to run to the tomb without passing by the cross.
Surely, surely the cross has to be in our minds. This is the crucifixion and the mercy of God on display. Only to be added to the culmination of the glorious resurrection of our Lord. It is this we must believe. It is this we must believe. If we do not believe this, there is no hope for our souls. These are the very words that Jesus said to Martha on the day that he was to raise Lazarus from the dead. Your brother shall rise again. Martha said exactly what we would say. I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's what we say. Oh, I know. We have brothers and sisters. Yes, we know. They're going to rise again on the last day. We, we get that. We're excited about that. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he leaves us with this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He is the resurrection and the life. If you are in Christ... You have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You have been resurrected. The only thing that comes now is the glorification. That's it. Simply to transfer from mortality to immortality. Beloved, let this be on our minds and our hearts as we celebrate this resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for even our brief time this morning as we prepare our hearts to worship you throughout this day. We're grateful that you have given us your word. That your word is the most solid reality we have in all of life. There is nothing more sure. There is nothing more securing In nothing do we find a greater love, a greater mercy, a greater compassion, a greater salvation than what Your Word tells us about Your very self, about what You have accomplished through Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray as we sit here this morning, that as we run to the empty tomb and we celebrate the reality of Your risenness, that we realize that none of that was accomplished without being under the shadow of the cross. That You came and You died 
You were humiliated, criminalized, so that we might have life in you. And so we praise you for that this day. Thank you for saving all who believe in Jesus Christ. Be honored in our worship this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.